1: blooded wardrobe wards, warlocks, and warblers, welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 38, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your weekly Wikipedia-wielding weevils.
2: (laughs) I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. Oh,
1: no Dana. She hurt her back. Threw out her back.
2: Exactly, and is having some trouble getting around.
1: We're wishing her a very speedy recovery. Mm -hmm.
2: So, as you may know, our previous episode focused on the mysteries of language, yes. and uh, a lot of you actually wrote in and made comments to the effect that we did not tackle the oft-misused phrase, begs the question. Right. And in fact, we actually did cover that in the recording session, but it became such a tangled knot of us going <laughs> back and forth of, no, that's not what it means. We got no, 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 so yeah. sidetracked <laughs> into, our, into our own
3: side clarifications. That we
2: forgot to actually record it and lay it down in a way that was easily digestible. So here's the good thing. examples. Yeah. Today. So here's the thing. People always misuse the phrase, begs the question, and they use it to mean raises the question. Like, hey, Dana's not here. That begs the question, what happened to her? No, it raises the question, what happened to Uh... her. Leads to, right. Begs the question is this. It is when you are trying to argue something and your proof of your argument is just restating the premise that you're arguing in the first place. So there actually is you're, you're, a website dedicated to this <laughs> called yeah. begthequestion.info, which is dedicated to uh, making people use this phrase in the right way. And the example they gave is, that person's unattractive. Why? Well, they're ugly. You're just restating. You're
3: taking as a given the thing that you're supposedly debating, right? Right. So uh, this example was good, too. Uh, Women shouldn't be permitted to join men's clubs because the clubs are for men only.
2: (laughs) And in one sense, that's
3: true. True. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, you are begging the
2: question of if they should be for men only. Right. You are assuming that the thing that we're arguing, you've already answered and you win. Right. That is use of begging the question. you're
1: begging the question because there is actually no question.
2: Right. You are begging me, or you are asking me to just sort of give up the question that we're already talking about.
3: Don't get too hung up on the people literal have,
2: interpretation of the words. I people think it's have said that problems. it was, yeah, yeah. People have said that it was badly translated in the first place, like out of Latin. So, like that's why people get very confused as to what it means because whoever translated it or came up with the phrase "begs the question" did a bad job. Yeah. Well, anyway, this segment is over because we're done talking about it. Yes.
1: Zing. <laughs> Speaking of people writing in, one of our Facebook users actually brought this to my attention. And I thought it was a really strange and delightful headline. Pepsi's new fat blocking soda released in Japan. And this is from <laughs> Forbes. And apparently there is a new Pepsi product. They're selling it in Japan. And supposedly it has claims of it will block fat. And if you drink it, you something will lose about weight. This. Mm. Yeah. Here's the skinny. Uh, ah. uh, uh, it is a fiber-infused soda. Oh. So they pump in dietary fiber, claimed to help reduce amount of fat that's absorbed into the body, mm-hmm. which is kind of true. <laughs>
2: it helps Pepsi move true. things along out of the body. Yeah. Dietary fiber is... So is this like drinking Metamucil I Pepsi? was just going to say, I yeah. Think it's...
1: So. so. So naturally occurring fiber that you find in oatmeal and, and fruits and veggies and stuff can help block cholesterol absorption. Okay. Right? We know that with soluble, insoluble fiber. Mm -hmm. But there is no proof that synthetic fibers can do the same. Uh, Okay.
2: But you mean it's added in? And the name of the drink is Pepsi (laughs) Colon.
1: Actually, it's Pepsi Special. (laughs) It's really called Pepsi Special. There is the truth that it'll make you feel fuller, but that's it. I don't think it's actually absorbing all your fat cells. It is in a very handsome looking bottle, gold and black, and it's marketed for men. Mm. It is not for girls. Huh. That's weird. Without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment. Pop quiz, hotshot.
2: This is the Colin Chris showdown. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It's just going to
0: be a... Uh... Man
1: versus man. <laughs> and here I have a random Trivial Pursuit card, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers ready. Here we go. Blue wedge for geography. In what city can you climb the Spanish Steps?
2: Uh, those are in Rome, Italy.
1: Correct. I've climbed them. Hmm. Uh, Okay, Pink Wedge for pop culture. What beetle wrote and sang, (laughs) Here Comes the Sun?
2: Chris Kohler. I'm going to go with George Harrison. That was a George. Correct. (laughs) All right.
1: Yellow Wedge. What animal was often given by China as a diplomatic gift? Is it a panda? Yes. Really? Panda, yeah. And actually, there is a a proper term. The practice became known as panda diplomacy. Yeah,
3: panda diplomacy. Interesting.
1: Purple wedge. What symbol takes its name from the Greek for "little star"?
3: What symbol? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I know. Is it asterisk? Yes, mm-hmm.
1: ah. What We're you thinking about. I was like, oh, yeah.
2: Is that, yeah.
3: that totally makes astrology? Sense now. Never yeah. thought about that. Huh.
1: Green wedge for science. In computing, a joint photographic experts group <laughs> is more commonly known as a what? Together, a JPEG. JPEG. Yes, JPEG. Joint Photographic Experts Group. <laughs> yes, they're the one who created the
3: spec for that file format. And if you're interested as well, MPEG uh-huh. is Motion Photography Experts Group as oh.
1: well. Oh, yeah. There you what's
3: go. What's it? What's a GIF? Uh, that's a graphic interchange format. Interesting. Um, which originally I think was developed by Compuserve. And that uh, is uh,
2: GIF, or GIF, however you pronounce it, is yeah. the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year. Word right? of the yes, year, that's yeah. right. I actually
1: I, don't know if you're pronounce a gif or GIF. Well, so uh, apparently
3: funny, like, did they. <laughs> In in the graphics world it was this was really hotly debated at least I remember. It was like and some people are like it's I mean however you feel about this you really feel strongly. So yeah. I went looking to see all right what side does OED come down on? Yeah. And they actually do say that their listing is primary pronunciation is gif mm-hmm. because the original developers sort of made it as like a pun on the on gif like the peanut butter. Oh really?
1: And also, last question, Orange Wedge. What athletes are you watching if you are at a PBR event?
2: Oh. Uh, Bull riding. Yes. Yes.
1: Professional bull riders. Not
2: Not Pabst Blue Blue Ribbon. Ribbon.
3: (laughs) Although I don't think it needs to be pointed out. That's a golden marketing opportunity. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. The Venn diagram is very interesting for that one.
2: So before we get into this episode, I'd like for your edification to present you with our table of contents. Ready? <clears throat> Barbecue, beards, bunion, break, food, drink, peeing, Elvis.
1: <laughs> in case
3: you're in a hurry, I need to just skip to
2: a portion of the show. <laughs> so stay tuned.
1: Today's show is a little bit of a grab bag, but it is still themed, and our theme is a manly theme because it's about manly stuff. like Barry and his voice got bait a body like Arnold with a Denzel he like a doctor with a real good rep and
4: when he comes home he's...
3: Relaxed. Something uh, that is stereotypically men associated or men. Yes, with, right. with men yes. well I guess not all stereotypically
2: Colin and I in, as research for this episode went out and talked to some men
3: yeah. to find
2: out <laughs> to find out what that's like
3: I put an ad on Craigslist and <laughs> let's just say the responses I got were not what I expected <laughs> <laughs> friendly local men willing to answer some questions <laughs>
2: Chapter one of The Man Show. Barbecue. When you think about men and grilling entire animals over a fire, then (laughs) eating them with no utensils or plastic utensils. (laughs) And or... Um, Um, so, the first thing I wanted to, as I started looking up, what was I going to research, barbecue, it's such a huge kind of category, and I started looking up, okay, well, first things first, etymology. Right. Where does this come from? The, uh, word barbecue has several very fanciful and totally false etymologies attached to it. I've
3: definitely read some different ones for So, here's
2: the thing. One of the ones that I have heard, uh, presented as actual, total, definite fact is that it comes from French. And because hmm. they cooked the entire animal at the same time, they would say in French, de la barbe à right. la queue. Right. From the beard all the way to, to the, the tail. tail. Right? I've heard that. Oh, that this, is... this. I like that. I one know. Doesn't it so... sound great? It sounds
3: too pat. That one sounds um, too pat.
2: And also, uh, pigs, pigs don't have beards. But, you know, either way, let's just, let's just pretend that they did. I've also heard, and this, this is ridiculous, somebody had come up with the idea of, oh, well, pool halls in the United States used to advertise that they had bar, beer, and cues.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit of a stretch. That
2: was a lot of a stretch. Um, as it actually turns out, we're talking about now the Taino, which were the indigenous peoples of certain Caribbean islands Mm -hmm. from before Columbus came over. People disagree on what exactly the word was, but they seem to all agree that it came from there. As you might imagine, catching an entire animal and digging a pit and putting a fire in it and roasting the animal over that is an old, old, old tradition. But apparently, Mm -hmm. according to one source that I read, they had a word that was pronounced Barabiku which just meant sacred fire pit. But I couldn't find... I could find sources for that, but I found maybe even stronger sources that their word actually was not barabiku, but was actually barbacoa right, right. which oh, if you go like and get steak. yeah if you go and get burritos and they have barbecued or slow roasted beef basically whether or not that was the specific uh, indigenous people's word for it, it somehow that was what it became once it entered into Spanish right and the Spanish uh, and, did have a and, lot and of
3: contact with Taino
2: yeah oh exactly because they were the ones who went and in, down into the Caribbean islands and also Florida and those places where those people were um, yeah. either way I grew up in Connecticut which meant that I had no idea what barbecue actually meant. Now here's the thing. <laughs> so this is a word that is very 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 old. It even entered into English in like maybe this, you know, the 1600s, maybe even earlier, you know, like it's an old 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 word. Mm-hmm. So when people try to tell you that barbecue means one certain thing or another and that, oh, that is barbecue and that's not barbecue. Nah, they're, they're kind of attaching their own regional sort of Mm. uh, assumptions onto it. They're, they're begging the question, if you will, of what barbecue (laughs) is. That's not barbecue. Why? Because barbecue is a slow roasted pig that's cooked over smoke. Right, That's right. begging it's the, the process, question. It's
3: not the food. No, it's the sauce. It's not the right. Roasting. The thing it's, is, yeah. it's a
2: super old word that is used in a lot of different places to mean different things. So I, again, grew up in Connecticut. I grew up having basically zero knowledge of what the word barbecue actually meant, because when we used it, we just meant, oh, we're having a barbecue. We're going to cook hamburgers and hot dogs on a grill, on a grill yeah. in the backyard. Just means That's having outbores. a barbecue. Yeah. At that point, you know, eventually, like, moving out of Connecticut and, like, going to places that served actual barbecue, you started to realize that in other parts of the country, it, it was It's not just grilling food on a grill. Also, before I even get into that, our British listeners, our listeners from the United Kingdom, they, when they hear barbecue, that actually really does mean, in Britain, cooking things over an open flame on a grill. And for them, grilling is what we hear in America call broiling. It's having a hot open flame and putting something, yeah, putting food underneath Mm, it. So they mm. call that grilling, and then outside is barbecuing. But in the southern United States, it means cooking something low and slow, either yeah. over smoke or over a really, really low heat for a long, long, long time. right? And essentially the process is taking tough meat and making it very, very tender. So you'd think that the American South would be totally united um, as far as what barbecue oh, is. And you're oh, completely, no, utterly no, no, wrong. No, okay, no, no, clearly no. Uh, you guys <laughs> in this room understand. Um, because from region to region in the American South, what constitutes barbecue is, is very completely different. There are many, 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 many little local styles of what they do, but there are generally considered to be, you know, food historians uh, basically say there's four major regions of barbecuing in the South. Ooh, and so, can
1: we guess it? Yeah, <laughs> sure. What are the
2: four major regions of barbecue?
1: North Carolina.
2: Carolina okay. is one. Memphis. Yep. Memphis is one. What's a really big state, Well, Texas. Texas. So yeah. Texas is the third.
3: Kansas City style. That's it. Okay. All right. uh, as okay. In, I wasn't ca- sure if that's counted. Okay. Casey
2: Masterpiece, yes. the brand of barbecue sauce, is Kansas City. Got it. So what actually distinguishes these things? Now, again, I'm sure that everybody's going to write in and tell me all these different things, because all these different I mean, Texas is a big state. It's divided into many different parts and they're all going to do things a little bit differently. These are the big top, General. big top line definitions. Texas style is like, you can have pork or beef. Beef, obviously big in Texas. It can be a big part of Texas barbecue, beef brisket, beef ribs. But the important thing is what they absolutely do not do in Texas is take the barbecued meat, and take barbecue sauce and pour it all over it before they serve right, it during the you. cooking process. That would be like taking your order of french fries and just like squirting ketchup all <laughs> all over it after the cooking process. You know, once they're done, they don't just pour it all right, on. Right, right. Because it's good on its own. And you would have sauce on the side. Maybe you want to pour sauce all over it, but that's your personal kind of choice. So it comes um, naked. Exactly. Now, the exact opposite of that is Kansas City oh. Barbecue. Um, what they do is they cook, you know, beef and pork, and they take a very, very sweet and sticky molasses-based barbecue sauce, they just pour it. So when it comes to your table, it's dripping in really, really sticky molasses-y sweet sauce. What's the major difference now between... Kansas City, Texas and Memphis and Carolina.
3: See, I only, the I, only division I knew was like the wet, dry division. I, okay. I didn't, I didn't know it more fine grain oh, than I know, that. I know.
2: What, what oh, is it? Carolina
1: right. is vinegar based.
2: Oh, okay. So sauce wise, yes. Carolina okay. sauce is vinegar based. The main distinction between the two of them though is a lot of people in Memphis and Carolina style will tell you that beef cannot be barbecue. Oh, uh, uh, pork, pork. pork is barbecue. Got it. In Memphis, which is generally you're going to get pork ribs or pulled pork just just one of those two styles. In terms of Carolina style, what they do is they roast the whole hog as you know the expression as goes the saying goes take all of the meat off of it, all of the different cuts of meat, the ribs, everything, the shoulder, mix then it they together. they cut it all up into fine pieces and mix it all together. Oh. This is Carolina this style. This is Carolina style and then add a light vinegar-based oh. sauce. And what they say is this is really it's it's like the most difficult to do because it's really the flavor of, of the pork that's coming through, and because it's everything all mixed together, you've got to make sure you cook that entire pig mm-hmm. evenly. Within these regions, there's a lot of smaller ones, but uh, well, it inspires all like, kinds of fights. You see all seen kinds co-workers, of co-workers
3: yeah. You know, like the one co-worker from Texas and the other co-worker from Kansas. City. You don't know real yeah, barbecue. no. This is no. This
2: is what barbecue is. Yeah. No, yeah. Yep. Yep. It can be a real point of contention. Man. Mm. Man. Man.
1: <laughs> Man. Uh, speaking of more man stuff, I think for, for me, I, the defining man characteristic would probably be facial hair. And so Cynthia DiRocco on Facebook, and along with a lot of other people, asked me specifically, why did I put a mustache on the Good Job Brain logo? And I just chose it because I thought, oh, we like old-timey stuff. Yeah. It's whimsical. You
2: picture a guy in the top hat and a monocle going, oh, Excelsior. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: It, you know, twirling the mustache, <laughs> right, like right, thinking, right. trying to answer. Answer questions. Yeah. yeah. Uh so that really is the reason. There there really isn't like oh right, because right. I'm a big mustache aficionado or yeah, or whatever. Right, right. So I figured I'd talk about some stuff related to facial hair and shaving and especially beards. So of course beards throughout history in almost all cultures, it does have some associations with wisdom or mm-hmm. manliness or virility. Yeah. Yeah. It always was regarded as some sort of male symbol, mm. uh, whether if it's to mean very wise or to mean very masculine. And this has been going on for, you know, long, long, long time. The big breaking point in beard history is probably during the time of Alexander the Great. Mm. And because he was a big proponent of smooth shaving is actually no facial hair at all. Mm -hmm. And of course, his reason is very, very logical. He ordered all his soldiers to be clean shaven, fearing that their beards would be used as a handle for enemies to grab your face or it might get caught. And so really for him, it was like, let's be efficient. Let's be functional. Everybody shave off any facial hair you have Mm -hmm. just in case. Sound
3: military tactics. Mm -hmm.
1: And so the practice of shaving became pretty widespread. And even kings and older merchants and even philosophers who've been sporting beards this whole time kind of adopted that rule from Alexander the Great. And so that became kind of the, I guess, the the smooth face era. And a big other point in beard history is with Peter the Great, oh. the Russian Tsar. He implemented what he called a beard tax and this is back right. in the days of late 17th century when he was trying to get Russia to be more modernized, to, to look and appear to be more European oh. and trying to uh, shed off the old Russian traditions and ways and to hopefully modernize and energize. integrate whole, a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, the
3: whole yeah. nation. Uh-huh.
1: And so he ordered a lot of his prominent courtiers and nobles to shave off their beards.
3: That's funny. I remember having heard about the beard tax, but I don't think I realized it was part of a modernity push or uh, overhauling the the national image. I think I just thought it was like a tax raising initiative or a way to to get money into the government coffers. (laughs) 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 What can we tax? Uh, Let's tax some beards.
2: (laughs) Taxing it highly in order to discourage the behavior, right? Yes. And of course,
1: the people who do want to sport a beard, they would pay the beard tax. And actually, what they got was a token. Oh. And the token is a special, like, Russian coin mm-hmm. on one side. It actually has a face with a beard on it, <laughs> like a some sort of legal document. Yeah, you could sure. present it to people exactly. who wanted to collect if the you're... beard
2: tax and be like, I'm paid up. I'm paid up on my beard dues.
3: <laughs> you know there were guys, like, pushing the boundaries, too, of, like, oh, how long can you get your sideburns before it counts as a beard? he's <laughs> mm. like, oh, no, this isn't a beard. These are just two really long sideburns that meet in the middle.
2: How do you get away with that? I have a great beard accountant.
3: Yeah, I know a good beard guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got a beard I'll guy. I'll hook you up. Yeah, yep. yeah,
2: yeah. In fact, if your beard it wasn't solid and had a hole in it, that was known as a loophole. <laughs> uh, hence. That is, yes. that is such a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Everyone
4: apologize.
1: <laughs> That's folk etymology. <laughs> yes, it is. And of course, today, you can grow a beard if you want to, except professional airline pilots are required to be clean shaven. Really? And this is to facilitate a tight seal with the oxygen <gasps> mask. Oh, okay. And which makes sense. Oh, sure. Similarly, firefighters as well, because they might have to wear a mask, and maybe having a full beard or something could not have a good seal that on their is face. Really? So, does a safety. Thing. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Some uh, some beard info for hmm. you fellas.
2: Chapter three, Bunyan,
3: (laughs) comma Paul. (laughs) So yes, uh, speaking of beards, there may be no more famous large scale beard (laughs) than Paul Bunyan in uh, American culture anyway. And in case you don't know, especially if you're outside the US, Paul Bunyan is held as an example of a classic American folk hero, just literally larger than life, this giant sized lumberjack. He has his giant blue ox named Babe and... There are just reams of exploits about him, and they're usually sort of in the comical format of, you know, he was so big as a kid, he had to have wagon wheels as buttons on his shirt. (laughs) Or there are the stories of when Paul Bunyan was a baby, his parents had to use an empty wagon as his crib because Mm -hmm. everything was just so outsized scale. What's interesting to me about Paul Bunyan is that in a lot of ways, he's almost a reverse folk hero. And what I mean by that is instead of something like the grim fairy tales, where they actually had really strong, legitimate folk roots and then kind of moved out into Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty and things like that that got commercialized, Paul Bunyan went the other way. So virtually every scrap that we know about Paul Bunyan, all of the stories, all of the imagery, all the little details of his life and backstory were created for advertising campaigns. Whoa! Whoa! And made their way back into the folk hero level. Wow. So, I
1: grew up thinking that somehow Paul Bunyan was a was a very convenient storybook solution to a lot of like like creation myth. Why does the Grand Canyon exist? It's because Paul Bunyan rested his yeah, axe. And absolutely. Cleaned. And there
3: are all of these stories about that. Yeah, like he carved out Puget Sound in Washington mm-hmm. or he his footsteps made the Great Lakes yeah, or yeah, yeah, you're right. And but those are all relatively new. Those are all in Fly. the last in the last (laughs) hundred years. (laughs) There is a tiny little kernel of actual folk hero and folk narrative in the Paul Bunyan story from oral tradition. It wasn't anything that was created. Here's the source. We can show where it came from. Yeah. Uh, and that's really not true. So the first printed reference that anyone can find for Paul Bunyan goes back to 1910. Only? Only back to 1910. There's mm-hmm. no printed evidence anywhere before that. Hmm. He appeared as a character in a story called Round River Drive. This was written by a newspaper writer. It was really just kind of a folksy little tale that he wanted to write based on a character that he had sort of heard before, but it was not the Paul Bunyan that we know today of this giant. It was basically just a story about a group of lumberjacks and he was one of their crew and they would kind of have these silly little tall tale adventures. And they were really Uh, intended for like a a woodsman lumberjack audience. Flash forward a few years. There was a man named William Laughhead who worked for the Red River Lumber Company. They were kind of looking for a trick or a gimmick to sell their lumber. And so what William Lafhead Ed did was he sort of vaguely remembered some of these simple, simple style tall tales that he had heard when he used to work in logging camps and said, you know what, let me spin this up into something a little bit more whimsical. And so they created these pamphlets to advertise the Red River Lumber Company. And this was when the stories really kind of started to catch on and get a little bit of a wider audience. But again, he wasn't cartoonish. It got picked up in 1922 by the Kansas City Star. And that really seems to be the moment when it crossed over from this sort of in-joke, in-character, in in lumberjack circles Mm -hmm. to something that kids could have stories. Stories yeah. about. Once the Kansas City Star covered the pamphlets sort of becoming more popular, other newspapers around the country started running their own Paul Bunyan stories. And people would start writing in with Paul Bunyan stories. Oh. And they would sometimes take old tall tales that they had heard growing up and recast those as Paul Bunyan stories. It was like
1: a fad. It
3: was sort of a fad. And as these stories started growing in popularity in newspapers around the country and people would publish their own collections of books, they got more and more and more cartoony, and he got bigger and bigger and bigger, and the things that he did got more and more outrageous, and Mm -hmm. the stories of, well, he needed six barrels of syrup just to cover his pancakes, you know, things like that, which were not at all part of the original kernel of tale.
2: I'm so surprised it dates only to 1910. Yeah, Yeah, it It is amazing how
3: fast it really happened,
2: especially with, you know, just uh, newspaper
3: publication and stories.
2: It's not through the oral tradition. Like, it's actually that's kind of what I thought it was. I thought it was like, oh, you know, tall tales told in the frontier settlements. No, it's from 1910, yeah. and it was published in newspapers. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. actually not, it's, it's a mass media it tradition. It is a mass,
3: yeah, and in fact, you know, in the folklore industry, there are some people who get really worked up about this, and, you know, there's the term fake lore, is Whoa. often used to describe yeah. phenomena like Paul Bunyan, where most of what we know about it does not have an oral tradition. It mm. comes from, it was either for hire or for profit or for a writer trying to sell lumber for his life lumber company it does seem that there is some kernel of it that grew into these tales Mm. so he's not a hundred percent fake lore in that sense i prefer to think of him as more of an open source folk hero oh
1: my god that is so nerdy in
3: that he's been contributed by just hundreds and hundreds of people over the years Mm -hmm. but yeah he's not nearly as old as i thought nor is he have as quote real a folk tradition as a lot of people talk about wow uh, and there are a lot of these weird explanations of like, oh, no, it comes from a French name of Bonjean. And oh, no, it came from the uh, Papineau Lager Rebellion. And th- th- <laughs> these are all really hard to trace down, as you might imagine. It's like mm-hmm.
1: Sure, you guys. Yeah, yeah. sure. All right. Time for a break from all this man talk. And I want to bring back a a quick section that we did a couple of episodes ago. What is
2: this amazing book you found? So
1: (laughs) a lot of our listeners really like that segment. So if you are a fan of collective nouns, I highly recommend this very old book. It is called An Exaltation of Larks, written by James Lipton. And yes, That James Lipton from Inside the the Actor's actor's Studio, he, when he was younger, I think back in 1968, wrote a book all about collective nouns, trying to hunt down the history Mm -hmm. and the reasoning of why some things are called... What they're called, I love it. and it's fantastic, and it's all
2: illustrated. It
1: is. It has all these old timey ink print, yeah, engravings uh, and a lot of ammo heads on people bodies. Just really strange, but it, it's really a great read. So I just want to share some of my favorites from the book. Do you guys know what a group of angels is called? Angels. Angels.
2: Can't uh, oh, uh, choir, is it going to be one a choir of these or something? Uh, is now. it going to be something where you're going to say it and we're going to go oh? <laughs>
1: It is a host of angels. Oh, I've heard (laughs) that. Host of of angels. Okay. So James Lipton here, with all his research, the word host is derived from the Latin hostis, meaning enemy, because angels are the army of god so oh like, oh there are just so many good ones uh we know pod of whales mm-hmm. or gam of mm. whales and one of the explanations for why it's called gam of whales is because when whalers back in the olden days know, it's very rare for whalers to see other whalers right mm. out on sea and so when they do see another whaling ship they would kind of, they would stop, they would chat, Shoot they would, the ball. And, and hang out for a while. And so that little party or that little conversation is called a gam. Hmm which is very similar to how whales, when they see each other, they kind of play for a little bit or meet up yeah, for a little they're bit. Social. The The gam of whalers then got applied to a gam of whales. <laughs> and lastly, a muse of cat houses. <laughs> wow. Uh,
0: there we go. <laughs> so Exaltation
1: of Larks by James Lipton. The James Lipton. The James Lipton. That's fantastic.
0: Let's continue
1: our man chat our, our man show. The man show The Chapter Man Show four. Food. <laughs> food for men. Food for men. Earlier I talked about Pepsi Special, which is the fat blocking soda in Japan. For men, this isn't the first time that food explicitly designed and marketed towards men.
3: Right. Things that might not yeah. otherwise be gendered.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about like muscle milk or bodybuilding powders and stuff. Right. Cause right. obviously that is, which marketed is to a certain men.
2: aim that yeah. happens to be more attractive right. to men. No, no, no. Right. You mean like
1: food for men and advertised for men only. No in, girls in, allowed. In
2: Japan, to this day, you know, Pocky, right? Yes, the, sure, the, of course. The, the chocolate-coated crackers that they're enjoying the in sticks, Japan. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Pocky with dark chocolate in Japan is called men's Pocky.
1: Mm-hmm. That's one of the big examples. So, culturally, it does seem like sugar and sweet things are always associated with kids or with women. And so, in some cultures, like, you know, what is mature and masculine in terms of flavors are like things that are very salty or <laughs> very <laughs> bold or very right. spicy, spicy or right. har- hearty
2: Theater, somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you when you look at your product and you realize most of your customers are women, you start thinking, okay, well, how can we take this product and tweak it right. and get men to buy it, right? Yeah.
1: So there's a Nestle classic for men really? in Russia, which is a, a chocolate bar.
2: What I love about these products is that it assumes, and is probably right on the money, that men are so simple and dumb. If We, we w- spell it out. If we won't buy a product... <laughs> All you have to do is just put oh, it's four, four men. men on it, and we're going, oh, yeah, okay, oh, I'll buy this. i Hold on, I'm a man. <laughs> Can't be seen without this.
1: The Nestle classic for men is, like, filled with hearty nuts,
2: and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, manly yeah. bars. Crunch the nuts of your strong
1: man teeth. <laughs> and relatedly, I'm sure our listeners in the UK are very familiar with the Yorkie bar, which is also a chocolate bar. The tagline is... It's not for girls and it has a logo of a female, like a bathroom female with a cross (laughs) right in front of her. Like this thing is for dudes only. It's you don't eat this bar to, for enjoyment. You eat this bar because you need food substance <laughs> in your body. Not you don't eat this swimming. bar. You tackle it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. You have to punch it in the face five times before <laughs> yeah. it can even go in your you mouth. You show this bar who's boss.
1: <laughs> and we see this too in, in Snickers or other types of candy bars where it's like, oh, satisfy your hunger. Because men are hungry. Also from Japan. Doritos for men. These Doritos are different than what we usually eat because the chips are A lot thicker. They're a lot chunkier and they also come in very salty flavors and they also have a really strong wasabi flavor. So it's (laughs) like real men like hearty chips and also burn your nostrils you know Mm -hmm. that kind Mm -hmm. of that kind of feel (laughs) gives you a
3: coronary five years faster
1: (laughs) so there you go some food designed for men Hmm. only no girls
3: allowed it's funny like as you were talking I I was having a hard time thinking of ones in the US Mm -hmm. that are specifically marketed but I could the only ones I can think of are the
2: sodas like they more subtle here they don't say men's soda they
3: do though they have the new Dr. Pepper 10 yeah they they are overt they say this is for men, not for women, in, in and they're that, very tongue-in-cheek. They have, in that know, case, you're Action right. stars and football players, but th- mm-hmm. that's they're owning it. They're all, this is a soda for men.
2: Right, but originally, I mean, that came from, Coca-Cola Zero was essentially the first one, Right, right. This idea right, of, okay, right. men would drink soda with no sugar because they don't really want to be chugging sugar either. But the problem is diet Coke appeals to women and the word diet is just hitting female customers and it's turning men off because they're like, I don't diet. Man. So they introduce
3: (laughs) Coca Cola zero.
2: Um, which is it's a different formulation, right? It,
3: and they advertise during sports, and they have. Yep. I mean, it, the, they the don't tenor come out and say clear. "man yeah. coke,"
2: but they do it in a more it subtle. It looks like way. they're you're saying right. Co- Man the coke, coke
3: Zero does not explicitly, and I think Pepsi Max is Pepsi's yeah. version. They don't explicitly. Yeah. The Dr Pepper might be the only one that does come right out and say this is for men. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're
2: they're, and they're being as you said they're being tongue in cheek about it, but it it shows that it's caught on. Yeah. It shows that it is caught on the idea of that they now have different formulations of diet, no sugar, no calories soda. Uh, that just appealed to to men. It just so happens that that's how it, how it and shook out. And even if
1: you look at like the packaging and stuff, they're always in dark colors, like yeah. Coke Zero is in a black can, Pepsi Max is in a black can, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, it's classy, it's no sugar, but it's for man.
3: Uh, well, I think you hit on something, though. You're absolutely right. It's like some of it is not overt. It's sort of just the subtext of what you're advertising. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of dancing around two things here. One is something that is marketed primarily to men and something that also has a light or a diet role, which is light beer. Mm. And this is just an awesome intersection of psychology and marketing and a little bit of innovation research like the history of light beer is so fascinating. One, did you guys know that light beer as a category is by far the number one selling category of beer oh. in the world? I had heard that. Yeah, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. Uh-huh. Um, huh. There was a story that hit the wires earlier this year that Bud Light had finally gotten past as the number one selling beer in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you guys a million trivia points if you guys know what the number one selling beer in the world in is. In the world. In the world. And I'm going to tip my hand a little bit of just recently overtaken large market, <laughs> you might be able to guess it's a...
2: Is it Tsingtao? You, it is a
3: Chinese beer. <laughs> it, is. it is. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, tiger. Snow, oh, snow, snow beer.
2: Snow. Okay, all right.
3: <laughs> snow beer. But until just recently, Bud Light had been the number one selling beer in the world. Uh-huh. I had just assumed that this is how it had always been, but it only really like in the 80s into the 90s that light beer as a category really took off. Uh-huh. And again, like all beer in general, it's overwhelmingly men that drink light beer, regular yes. beer, any kind of beer. And as you had just mentioned talking about the soda the idea of diet does not fly with men for a product or a drink or anything so i had always sort of assumed i mean i'm i consider myself a beer aficionado and i don't really drink light beer i had always sort of assumed it was just watered down regular beer on Mm. some level and that's not really true it is actually it's it's a different production process. It's made differently. They don't just water down real beer. Mm-hmm. There's a man named Joseph Owaites, and his claim to fame was that in the mid-60s, he invented a new brewing method that produced beer with fewer calories. Without getting too sciencey here, uh, basically he had isolated a new enzyme that made the yeast eat up more of the starch in the malt. So less starch in the residual beer, uh, fewer carbohydrates. So he was working for Rheingold Brewery. They marketed this under one of their sub-brands. Basically, as Gablingers, which already you're in trouble, is Ga- gab- gablingers. gablingers Diet Beer. <laughs> was, oh, God. It was a diet beer. Uh, and they it was a f-
1: bad Willy Wonka. It creation. was a flop. It was a flop. <laughs>
3: and they had, they had TV ads for it and they had ads. And the whole campaign was, you know, you show the guy, stereotypical kind of blue collar, schlubby guy, getting at the idea of, oh, you know, he's got to watch his weight. Well, drink the diet beer. Don't and, remind uh, the guys they yeah, have yeah. to lose weight. Right, right, and right. The, the problem was, is they quickly realized is that for men, you, whether it's an image or the reality, is that men didn't want to be seen as caring about counting calories, mm-hmm. or they didn't care about counting calories. It seemed right. like a, a sissy thing, or like, oh, that's women right. care about counting calories. That's not for me. The recipe ended up getting passed on to Meisterbrow, but the real turn came when Miller Brewing Company bought the rights. Mm-hmm. They bought it out, and one of the <laughs> one of the first things they did was, all right, guys. As, we were going to market this as Miller Light, And that was in 1973. Right off the bat, I mean, it was just a big hit. The main thing that Just they,
1: a change of one word. It was
3: two things they did. It was changing the focus from diet to light. Actually, Meisterbrow had, had the light name as well. But it was the slogan, mm. taste Great. Less, Less filling. filling. They changed the whole pitch of reduced-calorie beer as mm-hmm. not that you can drink it and not get fat. It's you can drink more of it yeah. and not get full. Yep. And that's really the wow. subtext under light beer is you know we don't want to come right out and encourage you to be binge drinking alcoholics, but here is a product <laughs> that you can drink more of this product. Yep. So you're consuming the same amount kind of calories. and You get more in. Get more beer in you. Yeah. Yep. yep. In pretty short order, Miller Lite became their best selling beer. Coors Light jumped on the bandwagon in the 70s as well, and Coors Light again to this day is their best-selling beer. Budweiser as well, Bud Light. It, for all of those sort of the big 3 American breweries. The
1: light has surpassed the normal The light normal. is by
3: far their wow. highest-selling category. Now, here's the other part of light beer that isn't really like a dirty little secret because it's public knowledge, but they don't really advertise this as strongly, but light beer has less alcohol. Yeah. Mm. In terms of the ingredients in beer, <laughs> the thing with the most calories <laughs> is the alcohol. So if you can reduce the alcohol, you reduce the calories. So, you know, on average, the uh, the light beers have about 4.2% alcohol by volume compared to up to 5% for the regular varieties. It is less filling, but it also has less alcohol in it too. So some of the newer ones they have out, like MGD64, are down to under 3 does 64 refer to
1: 64 calories yeah, yeah that's right that's right yeah so oh my the calories goodness. yeah there's although you know some people it's be like bubbly water when well day. some people
3: have pointed out online that yeah really the difference in calories between an average light beer and an average regular beer it's not that, that huge a difference, mm-hmm. but again, where it starts to become a difference is if you're drinking five or six of them, <laughs> you know. And they talk about in the early days of the ads for light beer, they were always sort of had to be careful not to imply that any one person had actually drunk more than a few beers, you know. Like you would say, "Tastes great, less filling," and you would show right. the guy with all the empty bottles, or whatever. <laughs> yes. But you know, yeah, you had to sort right. of imply, "Oh, me and my friends drank all these," you know. Yeah, it wasn't, hey. it wasn't, just, me, yeah, it wasn't just me sitting here by myself. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, thank you, Colin. I have to say that your, uh, your topic flows directly into uh, Chapter 6, which is, of course, peeing.
4: Um,
2: you know, look... Trickling down. <laughs> when you're a guy, you spend a lot of time in front of urinals and not knowing where to look or what to do, <laughs> yeah. because you're just sort of like staring at the blank wall in front of you. And of course, a lot of entrepreneurs, again, having the time on their hands, uh, staring at a blank wall, will use that time to dream up what would it be good if there was something yep. on this wall in front of me. Which is how we got advertisements at Karen. You may not know no, this. No, I do not. This might be another oh, yeah. mind blowing Right at eye level above Karen. the urinal yeah. and in so, a lot of So I mean, some some rooms. like sports bars will take the day sports page and put it in a frame yeah. above the urinal so you can read the front sports page. Oh, that's yeah. pretty clever. Um, Which I always thought was really clever, yeah. Some, they will put small flat screen TVs above the urinals. Wow, you guys playing have nice Whatever rooms. games are playing, yeah. yeah. You're just the captive audience. Captive what eyeballs, you, that's right. That's look? right. Um, <laughs> desperately pretending the other people are not there with you. <laughs> the Japanese uh, gaming company Sega, along with some other companies recently, have started to introduce interactive urinal games. Whoa! Um, yeah. So they put a screen up above the the urinal and basically like there's a target inside and basically like you know you try, you, to, pee on you it. try to pee on the target <laughs> And it causes you're playing a game, so like there could be a game where you're like one of those little statues that pees, and he's filling up uh, coffee cans, <laughs> um, or woman, uh, a news reporter is doing a report, and uh, you're causing the wind to blow her clothes around as you're peeing This is being so, sold. Of course, you can experience this it. in Japan oh, right now. It's called toilet T O Y L E T. It reminds it's me, the me little, of the
3: little like uh, the squirt gun in the clown's mouth at the carnival. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Um. So an, another really interesting. Thing is, if you have gone into Terminal Four of John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City. Over any time over the last ten years, and used one of the urinals, you would have seen something interesting in there—a tiny little picture of a fly. Yes, I was. I can't. The inside I'm so of the happy bowl. you're
3: mentioning this. So you've seen that uh, two or three weeks ago? Came back from New York. Really? And in fact, that was the first time I had seen that. Was I was at JFK and coming through in the same spot in each urinal, a little painted, fairly realistic little yep. fly. Yep. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is where they want me to pee.
2: Bingo. Without telling you how to do it, like, basically they have just discovered that it actually put this little fly near the drain of the urinal, and it reduces spillage, what they use mystically <laughs> yeah. spillage, by 80%. That's wow. amazing. I don't want to have to be That's the guy amazing. who puts down the paper towels and then picks up all of the yeah. pee off the ground and then weighs it to determine how <laughs> the exact percentage, percentage? <laughs> but... Why is it in Terminal 4? Because Terminal 4 was owned and operated up until, I think, very, very recently by Skipole, a Dutch airport company. Huh. This was essentially invented or pioneered in the Netherlands, and a lot That's of bathrooms so in the Netherlands use this. The urinal fly. So sometimes it's a sticker, and sometimes it's painted, and sometimes it's actually embossed right into the porcelain, like burned wow. into the porcelain. What people are saying is it taps into a primal urge in the man brain to,
4: kill insects?
2: to, to aim at things. To oh. like to to aim at a target. Yeah, yep.
4: that
1: yep. makes sense. Video games. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
2: And so again, if anybody out there runs a business where you have like a public bathroom or a bathroom that your customers use, you can buy little urinal fly stickers. And if you're sick of cleaning up the bathroom floor, it is an incredibly cost-effective way. We should make our way. own. Good job, bringing <laughs> urinal fly stickers. Yeah. Okay. Little mustaches. Right. Little mustaches. <laughs> yeah.
1: Flies with mustaches. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was our very complete mancho, I would say. As, yeah.
3: As advertised.
2: I think we. Oh yeah. I think we covered it all.
3: From butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between.
0: You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new.
3: Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com.
1: And Colin, you have a final quiz segment for us?
3: I do. It features the return of our good friend, Elvis. Yay! And for those of you who may not remember, Elvis is our simulated, outdated computer voice who will sing opening lines of popular songs. Read. Yes. More like oh, Yes, more like, Reed. like yes. Reed is supposed to sing. Yes. Elvis doesn't sing. All right. Got a variety of genres, including a hip-hop song today. Yes! Which is, it's tough for Elvis to do hip-hop because All it's right. usually pretty obvious.
2: Chris versus Karen, the showdown.
3: All right, here we go.
4: She's into superstitions, black cats, and voodoo dolls. I feel a premonition that girl's gonna make me fall.
3: Oh, I think Karen got that.
1: She bangs by Ricky Martin. Oh, you're so close.
3: Oh. It's
2: uh, Live in La Vida oh.
1: Loca. It is Live
3: in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. Oh,
1: Here we almost, go.
3: almost. So yeah, it was just like the little Gotta glimmer brush up on recognition. Ricky Martin. All right, number two. Here we go.
4: What will you do when you get lonely and nobody's waiting by your side? You've been running and hiding much too long. You know it's just your foolish pride.
2: Chris. Layla
4: by Derek and the Dominoes. It is
3: Layla by (laughs) Derek. Oh, tricky. (laughs) What what cracks up with this one is he can't say waddle. He's all, waddle you do. Um,
4: Waddle you do when you get lonely.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, here we go. Number three.
4: Two jumps in a week. I bet you think that's pretty clever. Don't you, boy? Flying on your motorcycle, watching all the ground beneath you drop. <laughs> oh, it's
3: on
1: the tip of my tongue! Watching the ground beneath you drop. That's the line. Ground beneath.
3: Karen. That is. Oh, God. Radiohead! <laughs> yes.
1: High and dry. Yes! Wow! Oh, Man, I see drop. the gears turning. Wow. Yes. At first, I thought it was like a girl singing because i remember it was really soft and then that's oh
3: girl or tom york yeah (laughs) well done well done all right here we go here we go another classic
4: and now the end is near and so i face the final curtain my friend i'll say it clear i'll state my case of which i'm certain
2: Chris. Yeah. So, Frank Sinatra's My Way. It is. Oh, Frank yes, Sinatra's yes. My Way. Well done.
3: All right, here we go. Next one.
4: Love is like a bomb. Baby, come on, get it done. Living like a lover with a radar phone. Looking like a tramp, like a video vamp. Demolition woman. Can I be your man?
1: <laughs> video, that video van, oh, to my, oh, God, I'm so bad at this without the without the music.
3: Yeah, you want me to tell you?
1: Yeah, uh, clue. Think
3: one arm drummer.
1: Oh, Def Leopard!
3: <laughs> yes, it is Pour Some Sugar on Me oh. by Def Leopard with a radar phone. <laughs> a little bit more current song here.
4: I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions had an echo in so much space.
2: Chris. Gnarls Barkley, crazy.
3: It is Gnarls Barkley, crazy. Wow, <laughs> wow.
2: Here we go, next one.
4: Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kinda odd. No barking from the dogs, no smog.
1: Karen,
3: already smiling.
1: Uh, Today was a good day. By Ice
4: Cube.
2: Correct
3: <laughs> It was a good day mm. by Ice Cube indeed. Alright, good job guys. And you know, I didn't want to do this last one, but Elvis, he's so big on being trendy, he really wanted to do something that the kids are into. Okay. So mm-hmm. we'll see if you guys can figure what this one
4: is. <laughs>
2: Karen.
1: Is that Gangnam Style? It is Gangnam Style Sire? by Psy. Uh. Elvis, you know, he just wants
3: to be hip. It's just, it's kind of sad. He's really. multicultural. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, good job, guys. You got every single one there.
1: All right. Oh, Elvis. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. I uh, hope you learned a lot about urinals and beer (laughs) and food and beards Paul Bunyan lots of great man stuff this week and you can find us on Zune Marketplace on iTunes on Stitcher and also on our website which is goodjobbrain.com and check out our sponsors bonobos.com speaking of men they sell manly clothes so there you go indeed and we'll see you guys next week see ya bye bye